We're continuing our series today that we've entitled In the Dust of Jesus. And uh, the title of today's message is Teach Us to Pray. And, you know, when, when Jesus invited his disciples to come and follow him, the invitation that he was giving to them was to walk closely behind him and to live the way that he lived. He, he wasn't inviting the disciples to come along and just gain cognitive information about him. It was an invitation to live life with him. He said, leave things behind and walk with me as I walk. And you remember we've talked about the ancient blessing that says, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And the idea behind that is that as a disciple, that you would follow so closely behind your teacher that the dust stirred up by his shuffling feet would get all over you. And for the past several weeks, what we've been doing is we, we have been talking about living in the cloud of dust stirred up by Jesus' feet, living closely to him walking the way he walked, living the way he lived. And so, uh, and if we want to learn how, we, how to live the way of Jesus, then the only thing that makes any sense is to look at how Jesus lived. And uh, last week we talked a lot about Jesus's lifestyle of prayer. So I want to review just a little bit before we get into what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, you'll remember some of these things, that Jesus' baptism, he was praying. The night before he selected the 12 apostles, he goes up on a mountain and he prays all night long. He, he, he's praying early in the morning. Late at night he is praying. You should begin to see a pattern emerge right about now. Uh, at the transfiguration, he is praying. Before the cross happens, he is praying. On the cross, is, is, he is praying. And so we learned that Jesus did a lot more than just teach often on prayer, but we see that he lived prayer. It was, a, it was a way of life for him. In fact, it's probably safe to say that prayer isn't so much a Jesus, something that Jesus commands us to do as, it, as much as it is the way of Jesus. It's, it's like he gets up and walks around, but he never gets off his knees. Are you tracking with me? So he just, he just always seemed to be inseparably connected to God the Father. And for Jesus, prayer is not merely a spiritual discipline. Now, I think it's, spiritual disciplines are important. I think it's important, it's smart to cultivate some discipline in prayer. Uh, after all, I mean, even Paul said, he said, labor with me in prayer. So there's something that you do, there's an act that you do, but, but it's more than that because it's, it's like Jesus is always connected, like he's always praying. So then when you look at the rest of the scripture, the rest of the scripture seems to join him. For example, in Hebrews, it says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. That's the writer of Hebrews way of saying, I know you're a scoundrel. I know it's been a while, but you're still welcome. I know you're not perfect. You can pretend all you want for everybody else, but I see you. I know exactly what you are. I know what's going on in your heart and you're still welcome at the throne. Then 1 Timothy, Paul says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, pray without ceasing. And by the way, the word ceasing in the Greek literally means ceasing. <laughs> so it's not real tricky there. Just so you know, the, the word, that's the word of the original language. He's saying, don't stop praying. Then James, he's going to say something along these lines. He says, if you're happy, you have to pray. But if you're sad you ought to pray. If you're healthy, you should really pray. But if you're sick, you ought to pray. I mean, James just very simply says that this thing that we call prayer is the heartbeat of who we are. Nevertheless, here, here's the deal. Here's the point I want to make. I, I don't think that anything I've said 
is, is surprising anybody in here today. Whether you've been in church your whole life or this is the first time you've ever been in, in church, the idea that God's people pray to him is not shocking or revolutionary. We're not on to anything new here. This is not a new discovery. In fact, if we sat down and asked how many sermons you've heard on prayer, how many books you've read on prayer, or how many prayer meetings you've been to, I think we would find that we have a mountain of information about the subject of prayer. But there are two questions that we started to, to address last week. I want to review a little bit. The question number one was, if that's true, uh, why do so many of us find it so difficult to pray with any kind of real consistency? Because we excel at prayer when our life blows up all, all over the place. I mean, when things go horribly wrong, all of a sudden, we just become eloquent. Oh, Father, where art thou? You know, and we start using our old King James language and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we can just tear it up. But we excel at prayer when things go badly. But why is it so difficult for us to do this with any kind of consistency? And the second question is, why does it even matter? Well, let me just answer this, the question number two right off the bat. And we mentioned this last week. Prayer matters because everything that really matters in life is beyond the control of man. Zeal for Christ, for example. Which one of you can turn that on? Right? Is that not the reason why church has become so frustrating for so many of us? We, we've come to church and we've heard, love Jesus more. And we're like, yeah, how? Is that no one else's story? We, we've all been there where, where we want to love him more, but there's just nothing in our heart. We get motivated for a moment, but no real life change is going on. No one can switch on zeal for Jesus. You, you can switch on church attendance. You can, you can learn evangelical church language, uh, which by, I don't know if you know it or not. We have our own language in, in the church, and we use it all the time, and people outside the church have no idea what we're talking about. But who can switch on zeal for Christ? Who can switch on more faith? Who, who can make their kids love Christ? I mean, you can crush their little spirits and make them obey every rule in the book, but you cannot make them love Jesus. What about a clean conscience? Which one of you can work that into being? Peace. Where in the world do we find peace? Forgiveness of sin. I mean, I could keep going on and on and on. The things that matter most in life cannot be produced by man at all. But the thing is, prayer is not just hard for us today. Prayer has always been hard for all people through all time because it's a humility issue. It's a, it's a pride versus humility issue because the reality is we pray when we're finally humble. Pride is what keeps us from praying. It's one of the main causes for that because when we don't pray, we're saying, God, I got this. I don't need you on this. I've got other, other priorities that I can look to first. But, but when we are finally humble, we pray, which is why we pray so well when our little facade of greatness gets blown to kingdom come. Because at that point in time, you have no pride left, so it's easy to pray. Now, I know prayer is difficult because even the disciples come up to Jesus and, and said, okay, we've heard you teaching this. And, and, and we're watching you do this. And the disciples then said, how do we do this? 
How do we pray? So if the men who are touching, following, experiencing Jesus in the flesh full on are going, how do we do this? Then I think it's a legitimate question for us. And here's what I want to do. I want us this morning to to look at Jesus's answer to the question, how do we pray? They said, Lord, teach us to pray. How do we pray? And, And in answering that, he's going to tell us what not to do. And then he's going to tell us what to do. So let's read Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse five says this, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. So the question goes out, Lord, how do we pray? Teach us to pray. And Jesus answers, let me first tell you how we don't pray. And he says, we don't climb the Christian social ladder, and we don't pray to impress other people around us. That's what he says first. We don't use prayer to impress. That's not what it's for. So if you pray in regular, modern, everyday English when you're by yourself, but then you get in front of of a crowd and you sort of downshift into King James English, maybe you need to examine your heart. And when you do, maybe you'll find that that everything's okay, that there's no problem with that. But we really need to examine our heart if we pray one way in private, but we pray in public, it becomes showtime. In all of this, Jesus, Jesus is teaching, don't use my name to make much of yourself. Isn't that what the Pharisees were doing when they were standing on the street corner? They're praying in public in front of everybody because they want everybody to see how holy they are. He says, don't use prayer to make much of yourself. How many of you remember the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee? They, they were both in the temple praying and, and the, 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 the Pharisee was or the, the, the tax collector was saying, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner, I'm dirty, rotten, I'm a scoundrel, all this kind of stuff. But the Pharisee, he's standing up there and he it always kind of, always sort of makes me laugh a little bit because the Pharisee says, Lord, I, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner and points this guy out. I mean, that'd be, imagine if we did that in church today, Lord, you know, I'd be praying and say, Lord, I thank you that I'm not a sinner like Ernest. You know, I mean, it's kind of what it's like. You'd be like, whoa, back off there, Pastor Dave. But, but that always kind of cracked me up a little bit. But, but when, he's, when Jesus tells that story, you may never have noticed this, but, but the Pharisee stood up and he started praying. But does anyone know to whom Jesus said he was praying? He said the Pharisee stood and prayed to himself. It's Jesus' way of saying he wasn't talking to me. Because men don't boast about themselves in front of me because I'm God and they're not. You know, you're really tiny and nothing you do is very impressive after you realize I created the entire universe. So you don't get in the presence of God and boast about yourself. He was praying to himself. He says, Jesus says, don't use Jesus's name to make much of yourself because if you do, he said, you have your reward, but I don't want that reward. I'd rather have my prayers answered, right? Anybody with me? Look at verse six. But you, when you pray, enter your closet, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. But when you pray, do not use, here's another, don't do it this way, do not use vain repetitions repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their much speaking. Two things here. Number one, this is not an argument against lengthy prayers. That's not what it's saying here. I I know this is not an argument against lengthy prayers because Jesus often prayed all night long. 
So this is not an argument against lengthy prayers. This is an attack over repeating meaningless phrases, using a bunch of words over and over and over again without any sincerity of heart. Just repeating it like a chant, like a mantra. It, 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 that's, the, that's what he's talking about. I think this is what John Bunyan, the, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, was talking about when he wrote this. He said, in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. This is Jesus' way of saying, we have a relationship. I love you. I desire conversation with you. Talk to me. Don't just talk at me. How many of you have ever been talked at? If you have kids, you've been talked at. I guarantee that. And, and your kids have been talked at too, by the way. I just want to mention that. But it, it, it's, he, he's, he's saying it's not that if you just say all the right things in the right way, if you get the language just right, and then you unlock the, the combination, and I'll give you what you're asking for. He says, I'm, I'm not Santa. I'm God. Verse 8. He says, do not be like them. For your father knows what things you have need of before you ask him. Therefore, pray in this manner. And, and many of you, how many of you have these next few verses memorized? Probably many of us in this place. Uh, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but really I, I, I call it the Disciples' Prayer because it was, the, it was how he was teaching the disciples to pray. Verse 9, therefore, pray in this manner. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, that's a really powerful phrase there. And we, but we find ourselves living in a very, very difficult time and culture for us to capture the power of this statement for many of us in this room because for many people, the word Father does not carry any positive connotations. Right? For those who have been abandoned, for those who have been wounded, for those who have been abused, Father, for those people, does not carry the beauty that it was meant to carry Here's what, what he's saying. Father is this really beautiful and descriptive word because it implies that he is above us, that he is more powerful than us, and yet he knows our name and loves us. A father is stronger than you are. A father, when you're a child, is more powerful than you are, and yet that father, a real father, knows your name and loves you more deeply than you can ever begin to understand. Here's the thing. This is what I wish we could do. I wish, really, really wish we could get away from the we's and the us's and start really believing the I's and the me's. What I mean is that, that we really don't have any problem believing Jesus loves us. Jesus loves everybody. Jesus loves us. But there are many of us that have a very, very painful time with Jesus loves us me we pray our father when we when we pray that way when we pray our father it's a way of saying god you're my protector you're my comforter you you hope for me you dream for me you love me you provide you know my name my father my god creator of all he knows my name then he says he says not only that he said therefore pray in this manner our father who is in heaven Hallowed be your name, or that's kind of the fancy way to say it. It's just hallowed. Hallowed is a word that has kind of made its way out of our language, hasn't it? I mean, anybody heard anybody use the word hallowed this week, this past week? 
It's not a word that you hear very often. Uh, when we Hallowed is just another way to say holy or sacred or revered. And when we pray, hallowed be your name, what we're really praying when we pray that is, may my life cause your name to be viewed as sacred and revered. So, so what this means is my comforter, my provider, my protector, the one who knows my name, the one who loves me like, like a father, let my life glorify you. Let my life be a, a, a reflection of your love and your mercy and your glory and your beauty and your perfection. May I reflect for the world how good you've been and how good you are. That's, that's really what it says. You know, the funny thing about adulthood is that one day you just wake up and you're there. You know what I'm talking about? It, it just sort of comes out of nowhere. Like one moment you're crazy and then one day you realize it's Friday night and you're at home watching Larry King, you know, which he's not even on anymore. But, and you don't even know how it happened. You, you just start thinking back and realizing, man, what happened? How did I get old? When did this happen? So anyway, a long while back, I was watching Larry King and... Um, and I told you, I've told you before, I'm not cool. And, and on this show, and I don't mind anymore. I'm a geek. I'm proud of that. I married a hot wife, so, you know, I don't care anymore, right? So, anyway, he had, he had on his show these several different representatives from the evangelical movement in the United States. And, and he, I watched him as he interviewed uh, all of these, these pastors and and they, there were a lot of really great things that were said as they were sharing. But there were a few times when they said things that I just sort of cringed. And I was like, oh, please don't let anybody be watching this but Christians. Because it was just not a reflection of Christ at all. And, 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 and what, I'm, what I'm saying is that in a lot of ways, the gospel, the good news of Jesus has, be, has been hijacked by some well-meaning men and women who think that the gospel has some kind of political or moral purpose. Now, the gospel has ramifications for both of those areas, but it's in its essence, it is neither. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we are recognizing the ramifications the gospel has for how we live our everyday lives. We're saying, let, let me reflect your patience. That's a hard one, in traffic at least. Can I get an amen? Let me reflect your patience, your mercy, your grace, your love. Use my life. Let, let me lo love my wife in such a way that the world sees you. Let me love my kids in such a way that the world sees you. Let me spend my money in, in such a way that the world sees you. Let me live as a neighbor in such a way that the world might see you. Glorify your name. Hallowed be your name. My protector, my provider, my comforter, my father. Use my life to bring you glory. That's what's happened so far. My father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Look at, let's read on verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what this is a prayer for? This is a prayer for courage. If, if you follow Jesus long enough, he's eventually going to take you to a place where you don't think you want to go. Anybody been there? If you really follow him, he, he's eventually going to get you to this ledge and then he's going to say, all right, step off. 
We're, you know, I mean, we're just following him. It's beautiful. It's all working. It's bringing joy. It's stirring us. He's stirring us up. And, and then he brings us to this ledge in life and says, and he says in faith, he says, step off. Well, at that moment when, we, when he says to step off, uh, there, there's so many of us that say, no, no, I, I don't know that I can do that. And, and, and here's where I think a lot of us become, uh, really begin to become damaged in our lives and in our walk with the Lord because we say no to the step that he wants us to take, but then we continue to do the Christian-y thing that we know we're supposed to be doing. So we continue to go to church. We continue to read our Bible. We continue to listen to our worship music. We continue to do all that kind of stuff, but there's no fuel in the car. Are you tracking with me? This is a prayer of courage that says, give me the courage to follow you no matter where you lead me. Not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. I, I don't like this, God, but, but I'm in. I, I'm, I'm a little scared to take this step, Lord, but, but I'm in. I trust that you are by, beyond me smarter than me, see more than I see, and love me more than I love myself. Give me courage to follow you. And if it hasn't happened yet, just, just wait until he gets into your money. <laughs> wait until you get to that place where he's like, um, do you really need all that? How, how, do, you, how do, you, uh, uh, do you know what, what could happen if you just downgraded to this, what I could do over there? If you just understand that letting this go is going to actually give you more life than what it's giving you. Or wait, wait until he gets into your relationships and he takes you to the ledge and, and, ledge and takes, tells you to step off. And he says, hmm, you know what, you, you've been a little bit of a betrayer. It's time to confess that to that person that you've, that you've stabbed in the back and ask for forgiveness. Just wait, everybody gets walked up to the ledge. Everybody. And this prayer says, Lord, give me the courage to follow you. Let your kingdom come on earth. Let your kingdom come in me. Let your will be done in me. So he says so far, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then, then let's do verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Now there are two parts to this, and we have to get both of them to understand the fullness of it. The first part is give us this day. This is the prayer. Save me from the guilt of my past and save me from the anxiety over my future and let me be here today. Let me see today. Let me be grateful today. Let me walk in the beauty of today. It's been a dark week, Jesus, so forgive me. Tomorrow is scary, but tomorrow is yours. Don't let me be torn up over guilt from yesterday or weighed down by the anxiety from to of tomorrow. Give me today. Then he says, our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Not, not our daily steak or around here, not our daily barbecue, our daily bread. And here's what I think Jesus is teaching us to pray. I think he's teaching us to say, Lord, don't give me what I want. Give me what I need. This is a prayer that says, Lord, protect me from me. Most of us have lived long enough to be grateful 
that God didn't give us something that we begged for a few years ago. <laughs> I got some real amens on that one. I just got a question to kind of help you understand this. Is there anybody here that believes chocolate is a food group? Let me see your hands. Again, excellent participation. I'm going to take a picture and send it into the district office and say, look at this altar call. Because I mean, the hands up everywhere. But I mean, I, I can tell you, I was even mentioned that before service, my youngest daughter, uh, when she was very small, she would definitely would have agreed with you. I mean, she would, she loved chocolate. She would eat and eat and eat chocolate until she would just literally throw up. If there was chocolate around, she would work really hard to find a way to get that chocolate. It, it sort of became a little bit like Tom Cruise with Mission Impossible. I mean, there were pulleys and ropes and all kinds of weird things, contraptions and motion sensors. And, you know, she was going to get that chocolate. But but here's the thing about a child who loves chocolate. If you put a bowl full of chocolate candy on the floor in front of a small child that absolutely loves chocolate, what you're going to find out is that they're going to eat every bit of it until they slip into a sugar-induced coma. Right? I mean, they will eat and 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 eat. It's what the child wants, but it's not what the child needs. This is a prayer uh, when, we, when we say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. This is a prayer that admits that we are short-sighted because sometimes we don't know what we need. We've all been through dark times in our lives. And I've never met anybody who got excited by those dark, painful times. I've never met anybody that said, yeah, that's what I want. Bring it on, you know. Uh, But I've met many, many people over my lifetime who would say, I never wanted to go through those times that crushed my heart. But those were the times that I came to know Jesus deeply. They would say, I don't want to have to go through those things ever again. But I'm grateful for the painful times in life because I came to know Jesus in a way that I've never known him before. Jesus teaches teaches us to pray, "Give give me daily bread. Give me what I really need, not just what I want. Protect me from me. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I think these two have to be tied together. The text is a perfect example, once again, how Jesus is lining us up with how things really are in the universe. I promise you this, forgiveness of others will become easier the moment you start being honest about yourself. I'm going to say that again. Forgiveness of others will become easier the moment you start being honest about yourself. The, the, the sins of others towards you will become easier and easier to forgive the more honest you are about you. When you quiet your soul before God, when you allow yourself to look at the dark places in your life, you begin to recognize the fact that you are a sinner, that, that, that you're no better than anybody else uh, other than that maybe you have found grace in Jesus Christ and he has cleansed you. The fact is you're a liar. You have used words to hurt. You have been jealous. So, you know, you haven't killed anybody, but you've thought about it, right? When you come face to face with the depth of, the, of your own sin, your own darkness and evil, you'll find it much easier to show grace to those who sin around you. In fact, say, I would say this. Most of us get really upset at other people's sins and we have a struggle to forgive them only because they're sinning differently than the way we sin. 
That's just a thought. Now, I know few of us want to walk down that path. We don't want to look at those places that are, that are not right, that the Holy Spirit's been trying to work on for years. Most of us want to medicate and ignore, but if, but if you'll come face to face with your own junk, I promise you that you will find it easier to forgive the junk of other people. Forgive. Ask for forgiveness and forgive. Here's the deal. I, I, know, I know this is true. Forgiveness, forgiving others is hard. And one of the main reasons it's hard for us is because we feel that if we do forgive them, that we're letting them off the hook. Like they won't have to pay for how they hurt you. But can I just really just practically unpack this for you? According to what Scripture teaches, in reality, they're not on the hook. You are. Forgiveness lets you off the hook. Because the unforgiveness does nothing to them. They go on, they live their life, and they're not impacted by, all, by that unforgiveness at all. But the unforgiveness eats away inside of you. When you forgive, you let yourself off the hook. They're still going to answer to God. Whether, and they'll either repent before God for that, for that and receive forgiveness, or they will pay for it. One way or the other, it's going to be paid for by the cross, or they'll pay for it. But that's not up to you. That's not your problem. That's why, that's why God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. When we try to gain vengeance, when we refuse to forgive, we are beginning to meddle in things that belong to God. We should be very careful in that, in that realm. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the life of every human being in, in this place, or every human being watching online, there's what scriptures would call the flesh, or another way to say it would be the sinful nature. And, and by that, it does, I'm not referring to your physical flesh I'm not saying that your physical flesh is sinful. It's talking about, when you use those terms, it's talking about our inclination toward disobedience and sin. We're inclined in that direction. There's this bent toward sin in all of us, and it looks different in all of us. Uh, like some of us have this bent toward laziness. It, I mean, if we were left on our own, we'd never even get dressed. We would be left on our own, we'd be uh, completely unshaven and sitting at home in our underwear. That's what we're bent toward, right? Others of us were, were, were bent towards lust. And, not, and I'm not, not just talking about sexual lust. I mean, I'm talking about uh, lust is, you can lust for many things other than just sex. And, and so these are the people that are like, it's 100% or nothing. I mean, these are the people that don't play games. They must master them, right? If they can't dominate, they don't want to play it at all. For some people, it's rage. For some people, it's jealousy. For other people, it's anger. But for most of us, it's probably more than one thing. I mean, I mean, we all have this bent in us, this thing that woos us away from God if we're not careful. And this is simply a prayer for help. Help me, God. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Help me. Heal me. Whatever is broken inside of me that causes, causes this to be there. Heal it, God. Heal it. Our Father, provider, protector, giver of life, bring glory to your name through my life. 
Give me the courage to follow you where, where I'm afraid to go. Let me see today and give me what I need, not necessarily what I want. Forgive me because I'm just as broken as the people that I don't want to forgive. Help me be uh, free from the sins that constantly beckon me and help me heal. And then there's the last part. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is a reminder that all the things we've just talked about are impossible without him. Can we be really honest? Does anybody else have people in here that you've been trying to forgive for eight years or longer? Don't raise your hand. I'm not asking you to raise your hand on that one. I'm talking about those moments where you think you've done it, you think you've forgiven, and you say, man, I'm finally, I'm just walking in such freedom. And then they walk in and they say something or they do something, and, and all of a sudden you're back to, I knew it, I hate them. And then you're back at the altar going, okay, God, this time, this time. I mean, anybody else deal with that? Isn't the ability to forgive a supernatural act? Is it, is it not a supernatural act to let it go and say, okay, Jesus, I, I, don't, I, I don't want to forgive, but because of your grace, I'm going to turn this over to you. Isn't it a supernatural thing to know the peace of God? His Father, the peace that passes understanding, the peace that transcends a broken world. I mean, isn't that supernatural? You can't manufacture peace in your heart, especially when things go bad. And when the human heart, I can tell you this, the human heart does not want God's name to be glorified. We want our name to be glorified. Sometimes we like to attach his name to it, but a lot of times in the end, it's so often about our kingdom instead of his. And, and how, can we, how can we hold in check all our wants? I mean, we're no different than a, a chocolate, greedy little child with a boatload of Hershey bars. We, we would we'd sit there and just gorge ourselves on what we want until we kill ourselves. We would. He is Lord. You are not. And as we recognize His authority and submit ourselves to Him, He bring, begins to bring us into a place of intimacy and healing. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. He's here today. And he wants to work inside of you. He wants to bring healing. He wants to bring peace. He wants to op open the, the door to, to do a work inside of you supernaturally. The question is, will you open the door? He wants to do this. He wants to work in us. He wants to bring us to a place of forgiveness. He wants to, to, to us to see the, the world the way that he's described it here. But he gave us this thing called free will. And he says, I want to do this in you. But will you open the door? Will you open the door? Would you bow your head? Father, I thank you for these men and women. Lord, you are our provider and our protector, and, and you know our names. It's, it's such an amazing thing for me that you know me, that you know my name. You have never forgotten me. And Lord, I want my life to glorify you. I want my life to be completely built upon you, not on me. And, 
And Lord, I know I'm not alone in, in that in this place. I know that, God, there, there's so many of, uh, of us who are, are not even sure what that looks like. But, but Lord, we, we just want to spend our lives on you. And we want you to paint beautiful pictures with us. We, we want to reflect the grace and the mercy that you've shown us to the world around us. So, Lord, we just pray, would you help us? Will you give us the courage to follow you? Because sometimes it's really scary when you say step off that ledge. Will you, will you help us to just see today? Would you, would you kind of overwhelm us with how good you have been to us? As we walk outside, Lord, would you help us just to feel the air? I pray today, God, that as we eat food with family or friends and as we laugh and tell stories that, that we would kind of just be reminded of, of how holy that moment is. And God, would you protect us from our wants? And God, I pray that you'd forgive me for my shortcomings, my, my laziness, my betrayals of you. And, and I pray, God, that you would help me extend the same grace and the same mercy that you extend to me to other people through me. I ask for your help because, God, I, I, I admit I still have junk inside of me. I've got stuff that that calls to me in weak moments and I hate that it's there and I, I want to be completely healed of it. I want it to be removed from me and I, I want to be whole. And I know God, I know you're taking me there. I know you're changing me. But I want to confess in front of these people, God, that sometimes it seems like we're going the long way around the block. But Lord, I trust you today. I trust you today. And with heads bowed and eyes closed and there's nobody looking around, how many of you would say, Pastor Dave, that's the way I want to pray. That's the way I want to live my life. I want to reflect his glory. I want to reflect his mercy, his grace. If that's you, would you slip your hand up right where you are? Just about, just about everybody. Lord, you see our hearts. Lord, Give us the courage. Give us the courage to step out on what you're speaking to us about right now. Maybe we need courage to do your will in forgiving someone, in restoring a relationship. Whatever it is, God, we come to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to understand how you've asked us to pray. God, that we would understand that you are our Father. You are more than us, infinitely more powerful than us, and yet you know our name and you love us. And Lord, we want our lives to reflect that greatness and that glory to the world around us. Jesus, just have your way in us. And Lord, I know this is not a one-time fix, but the God, this is, a, this is really a moment in time where you want to lead us to greater things. You want to lead us to growth. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us. And Lord, as we pray this way, help us to remember, God, that it's not about, it's not about just simply setting a 30-minute time block and saying, oh, this is my prayer time, but God, that this would become the, the very air that we breathe, that, that we would be constantly in communication with you, praying these very prayers. And God, that as, as we do that, that you would transform our lives. And Lord, I pray that as we get ready to leave this place, that you would just go before us. Lord, we're, some of us are going to be in contact with 
with waiters and waitresses and with other people out in the city, people who don't know you. And God, just help our lives to reflect your glory to them. Help us to see them the way that you see them. Help us to love them the way that you love them. And we give you thanks. And God, I pray that you would help us to walk in your grace, walk in your favor, and that people would see the greatness and the goodness and the kindness of the God whom we serve. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.